Welcome to All We Hear is Purple, the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. I am Andrew Berg, and joining me, she has nothing left to say, it's Gaby Lucas. Is that fair? Is that a good summary? That's very true. I have nothing. I wish that sports radio would just do that when they're like, we've we've said it all, and now we can just, and their program would just be static, like how in ye olden times when the tv was done for the day like it was done <laughs> like that like we're over it's over it's just gonna be like uh, am radio teeny broadcasts of yeah. conway twitty for the next six hours exactly yeah but instead we we're gonna talk about you know who's should get called up from the seahawks practice squad to mm-hmm. face the jaguars in exactly. the game of the century um we do have a football game i mean it's weird to be saying this in a week where there was a game last week and there's a game coming up this week. Uh, but we did the, the UW football Huskies played Arizona and, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, winning a game in, in either Arizona stadium on the road is something that doesn't happen very often, but it was really about as discouraging as a win can be. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like I, I, after the game and for the next several days, I found myself, kind of regretting that we even won like feeling like it almost would have been better to just bottom out and like it would have been a complete write-off have you felt that way at all are you are you relieved that they did win or was it just kind of like you were ready to be done with it in the first half um I think now that they've won I'm obviously like happier that they won just just because that keep like the it keeps the players motivated like it keeps the players motivated in a way that you know, it's harder to find if you lost. Not that that really matters because again, we're like from a deep foundational level have issues that need to be addressed. But, you know, I mean, both because I don't, because I have what little maternal instincts I have are like, well, I want our 100 Husky football players to be a little bit happier and a little bit, you know, more wanting to, I don't want them to fall apart because then also that just even if that theoretically brings us closer to change, it also, uh, in it, it like can bring you closer to change while also cratering that hole even deeper. <laughs> so, but I mean, while the game was happening by the, by the, you know, by the time it got clear that like, okay, this is going to suck too. Um, by that point, I didn't really care if we won or lost. I was like, you know, whatever. I think I, I made, I put some tweet out that was like from our account that was like, it's okay. It's okay to go watch like bake off or something that's better for your mental health. And uh, I believe that wholeheartedly for the record. Well, yeah, that turned into a a discussion thread uh, in our our Slack channel during the game that more than one of the the people in the discussion had switched over to watch the not even like second two day old episode of the great British bake-off <laughs> just instead of watching the game altogether. I wasn't yeah. one of them, uh, although I probably would have been happier if I yeah. had been one of them, but it was a, yeah, it was a bizarre game. I think the thing that stood out to me most, I mean, it was, we've had this conversation before. It was the same game that we've seen a bunch of times 
the defense was very poor against the run, um, fine against the pass. Actually, kind of comically, uh, Arizona's pass stats were kind of hilarious. They completed a couple passes in the fourth quarter, but there was a long stretch of the game when they were averaging like one and a half yards per pass attempt. End of the game was 3.1, 3.0 as a team with two interceptions, which is hilarious. Uh, it's extremely bad. At least the Huskies were able to like make complete a few downfield passes, even if it took a long time to get there. Uh, but I mean, the formula largely was the same with the one exception that we get into the second half and somehow Dylan Morris, who looked like he was just broken, like fundamentally mentally and physically broken in the first half, just missing really easy throws by huge margins and standing in the pocket and just kind of like going down, crumbling to the ground when there wasn't even pressure on him in a way that was like, who is this guy? Yeah. And then suddenly in the second half, he plays great. Like, how does that happen? Like, <laughs> it's, I, I know we've talked about this with Morris before that like, there are some coaching issues. There are some play calling issues. There are probably some like developmental issues that result from all of this. Uh, but how does that happen in an individual game? Like how he, he is one of the most like boom or bust players I remember watching in a very long time. Yeah, my theory, and there's obviously, like, I have no insider information on whatever and anything, but just kind of what makes the most sense to me circumstantially is that, like we talked about kind of last week, like, he has regressed in pretty much every single way that you can evaluate a quarterback, which to me points so much towards, like, the coaches having kind of, like, beaten his instincts out of him um which then turns you know causes all these other issues with pressing which makes you worse and you know, on makes your decision making worse and can make your accuracy worse and blah 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 um but i feel like i feel like a second half like that kind of almost feels like proof of, it feels kind of like one of those i've still got it moments like just in, in as far as uh you know the first half being morris in this in this system with the coaching impact that it has had. And then the second half, you know, when, when shit gets really tough, which is, and, and desperate, which is, I don't know if you could have a, a word for that game, if not desperate, it feels to me like that was a little bit of, of kind of when you just have to be instinctual and not play like street ball, but almost like you almost kind of play outside of that mental structure if that makes sense like not necessarily schematic or anything um which I feel like what we saw last year too is I feel like that's when he thrives and granted you know he doesn't thrive as much at anything this year even a little bit but I I, I felt like that was kind of almost just him like willing himself and the offense to be what he can be and what they can be, you know, if they were not fucked up. Um, and, and again, that's just my own personal hypothesis. Like, but to me, that's the thing that makes the most sense based on what we had seen from him in the past and what everything seems to be pointing to this year. Yeah, I mean, it, we've seen it game after game where I, I think we talked about it last week during the UCLA game or after the UCLA game that there were a lot of plays where he made very nice throws and then he'd make two really bad throws. Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of that on a larger scale. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you're right that the circumstances kind of forced him back into his comfort zone that when they're trailing on the road in the second half, he's they're forced to play faster, open it up more. 
makes him be a little bit more decisive. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and those are the kinds of things like getting back to his instincts seems to be helping him, which is yeah. a positive. Again, though, we've had this discussion six times this year that <laughs> if, you know, if this wasn't the thing that forced, and again, we're not in the coaches' rooms. We don't know where to parse out the blame, particularly whether it's John Donovan or Jimmy Lake or position coach or somebody else, you say like, who's ultimately responsible for the philosophy and the game plan. But we've said over and over, like, if this isn't the thing that makes them learn their lesson once and for all, then I don't know what would be. And, you know, this is data point number seven <laughs> in that chain where if this doesn't make them learn their lesson to play faster, simplify, just get the ball out quickly. Uh, don't just run the ball up the middle 38 times for 88 yards. <laughs> Um, yeah. 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 So I'm, I, I put no faith in that being uh, a, a going concern yeah, trend that we're going to continue seeing. Uh, defensively, Eddie Olafosho, probably my favorite player on this team, is now out for the year, uh, which sucks. Uh, lots of shuffling at safety. We saw Asa Turner get the interception to end the game, although it was kind of a moot point by then. It kind of opens things up for more possibilities. Are there just kind of like brainstorming any things you would like to see the defense play around with the rest of the way? Like, especially Stanford this week. Uh, we'll talk about them in a minute, but uh, there are a lot of different ways we could go schematically on the defensive side. We've pretty much stuck to this 2 4 uh, defense for quite a few years. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to see kind of worked in or, or personnel wise or scheme wise that would be fun to see for the last few games and kind of a lost season? Yeah, I'd have to think about that more. One thing I wouldn't mind seeing against, against Stanford specifically is kind of letting the uh, edge rushers go a little bit more. Cause I know so much of, of Seattle, or Seattle, sorry, I have the cracking game on in the background on mute. Uh, so much of Washington's defense is, or or their, I should say their edge rushing, their pass rushing like philosophy for years and years and years has been based off of like discipline and kind of stay, literally staying in your lane um, to, to prevent, you know, um, just so that you don't like overplay your move and then give up your lane and then, you know, quarterback just runs free um and yeah and we saw we saw re for good reason like when you face I remember a specific play there's like two plays one from I think Sal Mooching and I think Joe Ma Joe Mathis if he wasn't out I think it was Joe Mathis um, before he got knocked out against USC I think he was still playing by that point in the season where like they overshot their <laughs> overshot their move Sam Darnold, a quarterback like him, obviously like sidestepped it and then just hauled ass for like 20 yards. And so like, it makes sense where Washington's pass rushing philosophy has come from because you see undisciplined four man uh, rushes all the time that just, just are too aggressive and screw each other up. But I think against Tanner McKee, I think that would be really interesting to see because he already he's on that, that kid is, like physically very talented and I think he is a good quarterback and I think the fact that David Shaw played Jack West at all to start their season is psychotic um like pure that's just the dumbest decision ever um but if you you see this in 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 Tanner McKee where he almost is like he's uncomfortable in his body as a quarterback because he's so tall and his arms are legs he's like such a long-limbed huge guy and you see he crunches his body up he doesn't 
he almost just kind of like pushes the ball if it's not like a you know a go route um and he he hunches himself down in his legs and doesn't drive as much as you would like to see although a lot of that is like you know if you can produce that much leverage because you're you're so lanky you don't really need to um but what i see from all of that is somebody who isn't just like isn't physically super comfortable just existing in that way um and if that's some that is like the perfect target for a guy who you can like really kind of run just let go of let go excuse me let go in your pursuit of um he's not a statue so you know there is still a risk with that but i think that's a perfect example of somebody who if you can kind of be a little bit aggressive on early like that being some someone whose head you can get into a little bit because if anyone ever wants to talk about throwing mechanics and uh and leverage generation and what you can read into someone's brain based on what they look like when they throw hello it's me that's my one uh area of expertise um but that's yeah that's the first thing that pops into my head um is very stanford specific and it's that yeah schematically for like the rest of the season though you know probably some heavier sets but still probably nickel but probably bringing you know strong safety into the box a little bit more often but uh yeah that's that's not obviously those answers are really obvious everyone said that and i'm not going in depth or saying anything that interesting with it so i'll i will leave that to you if you have if you have a thought i don't think it's anything that exceptional I, that to add although i do think the stanford game will be a good use case for whether there is an appetite for experimentation in this coaching staff that every year the script is the same that we have a defensive scheme that's set up to stop spread attacks and tends to be a little bit smaller, faster, and more technically sound. Mm -hmm. And then Stanford has the exact opposite offense, which is slower, bigger, stronger, and matchup based. And yeah. they've done historically an outstanding job of isolating their, for instance, their tight ends on our nickel corners and throwing uh, post corners. And uh, it, it, like every year we see this happen every year for like a 30 yard <laughs> play terrible. part of the game. And then we lose by four points or something like it's over and over and over. So if there is an appetite for experimentation, this would be the perfect time to try it because the stakes are so low. Like you're yeah, playing a team a where the thing that you do is failing anyway, and you're already behind the eight ball for your season. And, you know, if you want to go week by week and look at the schedule, if there's any hope whatsoever of making a bowl game, you pretty much have to have this game. Uh, yeah, I'm not holding out any hope, but, you know, if I'm in Jimmy Lake's chair, that's the way I'm looking at the rest of the season. Like, maybe you just abandon, you know, like play your three defensive linemen as your base uh, and, and keep, you know, however you want to parcel out your outside linebacker minutes to uh, Bowman and and. Uh, Trice and McDonald and ZTF. It seems like ZTF has been playing, played a little bit more against Arizona than he did against UCLA. And hopefully that trend will continue. I love him so much. Uh, yeah. He's, he really is like, uh, just like lights up the screen. Yeah. He's, he's so energetic. And so one of my friends texted me after he had that crazy sack and was like, you're like, what are you doing celebrating a sack against uh, Arizona when you're already behind in the first half? You know, it's like, and I was like, if you come back from Achilles in Achilles tear yeah. in you know eight days or whatever, you can celebrate. Like you yeah. get a you get a pass. This isn't like 
Kansas tearing down the goalposts for beating an FCS team. Yeah, no. Well, my I wrote about this in my um, SNS this week that that I don't care if we're losing. I mean, I do care if we're losing at any point, whatever, but we could be losing a hundred to nothing. And if ZTF is still playing and happy and, or like, and has that smile on his face, like he's it, no matter the circumstances, you know, I'm sure he doesn't like losing. And he, obviously he's a competitive dude because you don't get to that level without being competitive, but like he had, you can tell he has so much fun playing and he has such, so much energy and is just, so joyful that like that to me was the highlight of that game it wasn't any there was no no other highlight it was just watching ztf enjoy playing football and yeah if there's anything that's going to make you not take for granted being able to do that like an achilles injury is probably it um so let him hey andrew's friend let ztf celebrate the however the much he wants to yes Absolutely. Don't speak ill of our, of our emperor. Yeah. Of our king. Yeah. The other thing is like you kind of alluded to going a little bit bigger at safety, maybe, you know, bringing somebody into the box more often all for that. And if, but my skepticism is if we weren't going to force uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson to beat us with his arm, then are we going to do that against anybody? Like that's the guy, you know, UCLA's, running attack plus DTR's versatility and mobility. That's exactly the script where you would want to put seven or eight guys in the box and just see what happens against also missing their number one receiver. Uh, Like that would be exactly the game where you load up the box and we didn't even pretend to do it there. So it would kind of surprise me to see it going forward. Yeah. Um, Let's, we're going to take a quick break, but first we talked a little bit earlier in the season about uh, the, the release of the, UW Dog Pound Home Field merchandise line. They are a returning sponsor, uh, and it's the Dog Pound promo code is still active. You can now get 15% off your first purchase from Home Field with the Dog Pound promo code at homefieldapparel.com. I got a bunch of these shirts. We got a couple as samples. I bought some other ones. I bought a North Dakota State one for my dad that says North Dakota Agricultural College. <laughs> gave it to him as a an early... Christmas gift and he was super excited about it. He wore it to Grand Forks for the NDSU UND rivalry game. <laughs> and it's kind of a uh like wink because the, the UND fans fancy themselves as a, a more academically ambitious school and uh have historically called NDSU the agricultural college. So he embraced <laughs> it and reclaimed it, and that was great. So that's they're very cool shirts, they're very comfortable. I've been wearing them all the time. Uh, I know you got a couple too. There's a whole bunch of other schools too. I saw they released some for, I think it was Furman this week, which is also kind of cool that it's been getting into the more obscure schools. Uh, Anything you want to add about uh, the home field apparel? Well, I don't have that much money, so I can't really justify buying much ever. But if anyone else wants to buy me a home field thing, I would like the one with the, with the Husky, uh, which is most of them. I, I realize that doesn't narrow it down very well. But it's got like the bubble font. <laughs> this is Washington in a curve. This is Washington and it's curved over. It's like, I think it's the 1970 Husky logo ish. And then, and then it's, I think that's in purple and it's curved over. And then, in, and then like straight and yellow underneath is Huskies. So, yeah. Who wants to buy me things? We don't have an Amazon For 15% gift list. We have a off. Home, field, home field apparel wish list, which is a feature ad mm-hmm. that we can suggest. 
Uh, again, yeah, 15% off, like you said, the promo code is dog pound. We're going to pause for uh, arguably more professionally done ad, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. So stick around and you can compare the two ads. Welcome back. I mentioned earlier that it felt like we were not in the middle of the football season since we were coming off of a game and going into another game and still felt like there wasn't that much that we wanted to talk about. But Gabe made a, the point that if we broaden our horizons ever so slightly to the less revenue generating sports, there's a lot of interesting and good stuff happening oh, with yeah, UW Athletics. Uh, let's start with softball. We did some off-season football softball talk around the Olympics. We had Danielle Lowry on the podcast. Oh, by the way, sorry, yes. put a pin in that. I meant to scold you for mispronouncing her name, even though you have a very reasonable excuse, and that's that you weren't here when she was here, and you grew up in North Dakota, because <laughs> it's Lori's son. Lori. I will admit that I my introduction to their family was having her brother on uh, the minor league system of my dynasty franchise fantasy baseball There we team. go. Uh, yeah. Brett Lori. Yeah, um, Lori. It's like the, like the name, Lori. how that works with, like, Kyle Come on, Lowry. man. Huh? Uh, like dude Canadians when he played for the Raptors did they call him Kyle Lowry uh I have no idea Lowry? I just Not my important. response to everything is English is a stupid language and it doesn't make sense uh so you know it, there's no con continuity as far as pronunciation sorry I appreciate the the uh correction uh but while we're talking about softball the news of the week is that UW's Heather Tarr was named coach Woo! of usa softball moving from a first base coach to the head coach uh what does that mean uh i know that she'll still remain the uw softball coach mm -hmm. like what does this opportunities does this open up what like historical precedent is there for this kind of job um well i mean the usa softball has pretty much been like their coaching pool has always been like really great uh collegiate coaches so that's not anything new but I think I think it does speak towards I mean a her longevity and how much she has how much she's produced I mean UW had more softball Olympians than any other college um and a lot of that was that we had a boatload on team Canada we had um you know we had the three on team Canada we had um Ali Aguilar um, with team USA and then obviously Gabby Plain um everybody's favorite Aussie, although race Porter, beloved O'Day, a beloved real life Australian from O'Day's Melbourne campus, uh, you know, giving her a run for her money. Um, but I mean, she's just produced with that program for so long. And she's been with team USA for since I was in high school, at least maybe since before then um, she's had been head coach of the U19 team for, or U19 or you, yeah, I think U19 and like one, one of their age grade teams for a long time. And she's been their first base coach um, and been, you know, been one of their assistant coaches for a long time too. And I think, I think it just makes sense. And I, I always felt like this seemed like something that it didn't seem in, inevitable to me, but I mean, she had been involved in various levels with, with uh, team USA. So when, when I saw that, I definitely wasn't, wasn't surprised. And as far as its implications for UW softball, I mean, that A, she's already expanded her recruiting in a way that is really forward thinking. I mean, when you look at how softball has kind of exploded, it was dominated by the West Coast for the first 30 years or so of, um, of its inclusion as a NCAA sport. And even before then, when you look at like the national champions, 
up until 2010, it was like almost exclusively the Pac-12, you know, in some Oklahoma, Michigan that one time, um, even Cal had one in like 2004, which I didn't even know until recently. That's just silly. But I, it has become the thing that I, I see most important about this is that as football, as football and basketball, men's basketball revenue has just, or spending has just exploded, especially in the South and, and the East because of Title IX. And I'm not complaining about Title IX. This is a good thing. You know, you have to equal that spending with women's sports, which is good. Not complaining about that. But what you've seen in a lot of sports, and I think softball isn't immune to this, is that all these huge programs like Ohio State and Texas and whatever have, because they're upping the spending on that, they're like, okay, well, now we have to invest in other women's sports, which is great. But you see it, for example, in rowing, um, where it's happening, where all these these programs that never, you know, have no history or not have no history, but have minimal history compared to a lot of them um, are kind of almost like or how, doing what Oregon did with their football program, where they're just shoving all this money at, uh, into like women's rowing. Um, and so you're seeing these non-traditional powers prop up, pop up, which I don't think is a bad thing because I think it, it forces more traditional um, powers, quote unquote, you know, UW is kind of borderline there, but there's to, it forces them to adapt and not just kind of rest on their laurels. But what I think is most significant for UW, for, for Coach Tar to be the head coach of Team USA is it, it, you, women's sports and non-revenue sports in general, as the spending for football and men's basketball increases, that then also creates a hill for, for a lot of women's sports to climb up as these other huge powers that are spending on football are also increasing their money with that. So you're seeing just like with football, more p- kids that normally wouldn't go East doing that. It's not to the same extent, but we've already seen Heather Tarr has increased her recruiting on a nationwide scale that is unimaginable for like UW football, for example. And a lot of that, I think you could argue is from her involvement with the U19 uh, national team and just being forward thinking and not having, not just relying on just California and Washington. And of course those occasional rock stars from BC Um, and to be able to sell that as a counterpoint to all these, you know, these teams that are in the SEC that normally wouldn't, she wouldn't have to compete against for recruiting to be like, well, I'm, I'm the head coach of team USA, motherfucker, like come play with me. Like that's a pretty good recruiting pitch, especially when you add on, you know, the new facility that's getting built. Um, uh, just, you know, just for softball. Like, I think, I think when you look, look at it all together at that, it makes me optimistic for you to have softball and their future in a way that I cannot say I feel for football right now. So um, that's good. That was a really long, uh, long tangent. I did not anticipate yeah, lasting that long. But no, that's, I mean, you, I had several follow-up questions and you just seamlessly transitioned from one to the next. I wanted to talk about uh, like the, the visibility of the program and the recruiting uh-huh. reach. And you, you talked about all those things, but it's not just the softball team that's had very positive news over the last few weeks. Uh, volleyball is another program that has been uh, kind of riding a wave of momentum up to number 10 uh, ranked in the country on an eight match win streak, just beat number 15 Stanford over the weekend and swept them too. I think Yeah, right? this weekend headed down to 
LA to play USC on Friday and UCLA on Sunday. And I noticed the UCLA game is going to be televised on ESPNU for the uh, you know unwashed mass- masses who don't uh, receive Pac-12 <laughs> network, which is like 98% of the country. Um, <laughs> can you tell me anything more about the volleyball team reasons to be excited about uh, the rest of the season? Um, yeah. So with soccer, the men's and women's soccer and volleyball, that's where I know much less than I do about softball. Uh, so I can't really go that in depth on it. That being said, I mean, you know, volleyball has been good for a long time. So, you know, I mean, I remember them whooping ass, like the first time that kind of came on my radar, I was, it was like, I don't know, 2004 or whatever. And, and it probably was before that, but I never played volleyball because well, A, I wasn't really interested in it, but also because volleyball was that sport that like the really hot, really popular girls played. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think it's from the, from, on Twitter on there's, you know, a Husky Twitter, people on Husky Twitter know what they're talking about. The general consensus, and I agree with this, is that volleyball, like live volleyball, as far as entertainment per dollar that you're spending for a ticket is like pretty much unrivaled and I don't watch volleyball super often because it's really stressful (laughs) for the same reason I don't watch horror movies because I don't love I don't love experiencing um negative fight or flight reactions when I can avoid it uh um, but yeah I think that's I I just I, I think volleyball is another team that like when you look at the pride that that whole program has, they, they're always, they always are doing really well. And they're when, whenever you kind of forget about them, then they always pop back up and are like, Hey, remember us, we kick ass still. So I think that's, that's always a program that even though I haven't been like a volleyball person, like it's always been something that I feel like personally, I've had pride in them because they, you know, just represent the school so well. Yeah, I, I can't pretend that I'm an expert on this sport either. Maybe we should have like dialed up somebody who knows it better. But yeah. uh, I think it is still worth highlighting that they're yeah. doing extremely well, and they're uh, you know it's it's not that complicated, not that hard to actually see them play, and we probably owe it to ourselves to to spend some time on this that <laughs> yeah. we would otherwise have wasted watching things like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, uh, disgusting! <laughs> Why would you do that? You you did mention the the men's soccer team. They were number one in the country last week. Uh, before a controversial loss, they were down two men to red cards and gave up a penalty late against Oregon State, uh, who is number eight. So it's not like it was a three-two loss down two players. So not not a terrible performance. Mm-hmm. They were twelve and zero now twelve and one. Obviously, yeah, five regular season games left, including a rematch against Oregon State. So again, if you're looking for other uh, UW sports to dedicate some time to, if this football season has just been a little bit too devastating too so far uh and the <laughs> the basketball on the horizon isn't making yeah. you feel a whole lot better uh these are there are plenty of other options out there yeah. anything else you want to add about the soccer team no i don't i don't i don't really follow soccer that much um which is just my own personal like preferences again i try to not get invested in sports um but I do you know I had a friend who played uh, like a childhood friend who played for UW for the women's team for you know four years obviously as that is the amount of time you play there um although I think she had a medical redshirt so I think technically she played there for five but 
it and so I went to a few when I was like in high school and stuff because she was a couple years older than me and yeah it's just a fun not not a crazy like 70,000 people environment but it's just like a fun fun value you know like pay 10 bucks go watch sports it's fun and they're good <laughs> you know yeah I don't, I don't have anything anything to go in depth on but I mean, there's so many things like that's one of the really cool things about being in a major city with a huge college that has like competitive sports is it's not just a football team. There are, you know, tons of different college sports that are pretty cheap to go to and happening all year round, which is very cool. Don't need to convince anybody of that. Yep. Yep. Um, Let's wrap it up. Let's talk about our recommendations and or our plugs. What is the most entertaining non-football or even possibly non-sports related thing of the last week? I have uh, been, I, I've like read, kind of rediscovered Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which isn't, I feel, I feel so lame because my recommendations, I feel like started out pretty good when we started doing this podcast. And then and then most of the pandemic, I had some stuff and then just slowly, slowly went downhill. My recommendations were like, go try something new or like <laughs> public TV yeah. or, or like Xanax or whatever. Um, but in Always Sunny, it continues my streak of like, hey, have you heard of this show? <laughs> yeah, I watched like 25 minutes of just Rob McElhaney bloopers last night. <laughs> And that I show love- is wonderful. Like I'm still waiting yeah. for the Charlie Day to become the biggest comedy movie star in the world because I love his funniest. He is one of the funniest. They're so actors. good, and it's not. It's a show like I, I don't think I could binge it. You know, it's kind of one of those shows that that I I watch like you know watch a couple episodes before bed, but it's just it, it's it's like the opposite of ZTF, like the <laughs> least joy filled people in the world who are absolute psychopaths and it's just I just it's so lovely <laughs> lovely might not be the word but but I've I've kind of rediscovered that and uh, it makes me feel better about my life choices <laughs> I mean that is pretty much bottomed out that show is yeah. like the people on it uh, yeah. but it is I absolutely love that show also yeah um, although strangely I went back to like watch it from the beginning and it, in retrospect, the seasons before Danny DeVito showed up, not nearly as funny. Like he well, really was, does. Wasn't it only like ten episodes before he came? Because uh, he showed I, up the I'm first episode wrong, of season two. That's yeah, that makes Yeah, it's it's very early, but the ones yeah. before him are noticeably less funny. Yeah, and they had like a five hundred dollar budget. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, shot. On, <laughs> I think the pilot was actually two hundred dollars. That sounds so. right. Yeah. Uh, and then it birthed like m- several huge careers. Like most of the people in that show have become yeah. super successful. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to recommend a- an article from last year. I-, I read it, reread it actually. And this is something, this is a long form journalism piece that I've read twice, which almost never happens, but it was originally published in GQ. It's called The Most Magical Place on Earth by Taylor Rooks. It's an embedded uh, story of the NBA bubble from to- 2020. Ooh. Um, it was more recently, I reread it in the best American sports writing of uh, 2021 or 2020, I guess, whatever. The one that just came out, I think it's called the best sports writing of 2020. Uh, and it's, yeah, she she lived in the bubble with all the players and it's, it's well-written, but more than that, it's like a, a level of insight that you don't usually get. And it's like a level of access that doesn't exist in sports anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of reminds you of like the 
uh, Jack McCallum, the breaks of the game in the seventies, where he's just like having beers with Bill Walton and, you know, riding bikes with Dr. Jack Ramsey or whatever. And this is Taylor Rooks, like hanging out with Jason Tatum, uh, at the Disney, uh, you know, themed pirate hotel, having, uh, like tangerine juice and rum <laughs> drinks or whatever, just to kill the time because yeah. they're both insanely bored. Uh, and those kind of stories are, are humanize the athletes in a way that you don't usually get. Uh, and that's, it's good. So it's called the most magical place on earth. It was published in GQ. It's by Taylor Rooks. You can find it. If you just Google the things that I just said, uh, <laughs> anything else uh, that you want to add before we sign off? Um, no, wait, yes. Mm, no I don't think so Kraken just scored again I think it was our little French boy <laughs> Yanni Gord our little French boy he's a little French boy he's like 5'9 which isn't little but like by professional athletes standards that's the Eli- he's the Elijah Bolden of hockey yeah high energy instinctual yeah I was as little- I was telling you before we started recording uh there's a uh, I would say second degree family family friend who's like our fourth line defender named Will Borgen. Uh, and that's the tie that I have into the Kraken. Yeah. Uh, and so anybody who isn't following them, that's the guy that you're here for. Yeah. Uh, he's hey. like a 19 year old who doesn't play very often. Yeah, there we go. yeah. He's in their AHL team right now um, yeah. over in Charlotte. Yeah. No, my friend, Hey, one of my, one of my teammates and friends is uh, she's on the ice crew, which they're sponsored by Filson and I'm jealous as hell. And then her fiance is, is, is like one of the 10 U coaches for their little like mini Kraken. And, and she'll, she'll like send us little photos of all these little kids and, and Hey, they scored again. The, what is it now? Four to one. Four to People one. want to do Step like on forensic, that, Montreal. forensics of on this game to like figure yeah. out when it was recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, while we're talking about the Kraken, I had, uh, family members asking for like Christmas gift ideas. And I was like, I should get a Kraken sweatshirt. If I go to a game, I'm going to want to be warm. When I go to games, I, I will go to games. I want a sweatshirt. Uh, and I was like, I love their colors. I love the logo, the like the good. actual like S logo that, you yeah. know, the, the Seattle looks like the head of the uh, Kraken. I also love the, the uh, anchor space needle logo. I was thinking I'll just get one in like the team's color blue uh with one of those logos on it doesn't exist you can only get black or gray sweatshirts with the team logo on it well, well no no okay um at the the team store at the kraken kraken i call it kraken ice town uh in northgate kraken community iceplex which by the way if you i think i might have mentioned this on the last podcast but if you haven't skated there oh my god it's awesome uh but they have a team store upstairs and they have sweatshirts like crewnecks that are they have a few different ones i want one i need to wait for them to restock my size though of like the light blue color yeah with the the anchor logo very um, cool I, and it's I, sexy i wanted one of those we get it we can match yeah well it's on my christmas list if yeah, anybody wants go. to go to the magic iceplex uh, yeah that i guess that's the place where to find it yeah buy you that um buy me a home field <laughs> yeah, bubble both. letter husky all right, we're making our, I would say it's an Amazon wish list again, but mm-hmm. neither of these things are available on the Amazon. So that that should do it. Join us next week, joined by Cody Pickett. Mm-hmm. As always. Uh, I think we're getting closer for him to be here. Uh, as the season kind of deteriorates, his job prospects with the Huskies are warming up for next season to be the offensive coordinator. And he's going to need to get his name out there. And this is nobody worried, no go. better way to do it than this. So thanks for listening and go dogs. Maybe he'll pull off a miracle and actually beat Stanford this weekend. Go dogs. Woof. <laughs>